Hello and welcome back to Snack Chat. This is episode four, back to our semi-regular format where KMGM and Shlomo discuss various interesting news bits from the Snacker News feed. Maybe they're uh, news bites. Yeah, I like that, news bites. I for I have another podcast called Three Minute Review, and the whole uh -huh. point is like every episode is only three minutes. And I, I tried to steal that idea of uh, quick bites from Quibi since they're not using that idea anymore. Right. Um, exactly. So, yeah, I like that. All right. So let's get started. I am Mike Merrill. I'm the chief executive officer of Snacker News, the greatest snack media empire <laughs> to ever exist. And my co-host is Shlomo. Cultural, Hello. cultural explorer, cultural oh, Sherpa. What, I'll what, take that. What, what's your? Uh, do you have a job title these days? I mean, uh, not really, because I don't work with one. I just have clients. But mm -hmm. right now, I mean, I've always dealt with uh, monetizing communities and helping creators figure out how to find their voice and audience so they could start making some funds. So, and right now, it's kind of centered around the crypto space in terms of social coins. Yeah, that? that that seems great. I've also, I don't think I've had a job title since I was at Panic and I, I was there for 10 years and I was kind of like, yeah, it just kind of kept going on and on and then started God, my you, own company and then still didn't have a title, yeah. Well, you didn't have a title at Sandwich? Uh, oh, at Sandwich I had a title. Yeah. I invented one that was Major Domo and then I was head of research, that's true. There you go. Um, I forgot you were at Panic. I just threw down the couple hundred bucks for their. We should talk about this some other time. Um, but for a play date, I'm super excited. Well, there's a lot of correlation between Snacker News. I mean, I feel like Snacker News came out of Panic in a way because Cable Sasser, founder of uh, Panic, it, he does those epic threads where he goes through, he just buys every new snack that he sees at the grocery store then he would bring them into the office and force them all on us because he only wants like one bite just to taste them, but he doesn't want to be wasteful. So we would all taste all of these good and bad snacks for the longest a, time. That seems like a Portland thing because I seem to know almost a half dozen of that sort of person. Like uh, there's a guy who uh, who owns By Olympia. He's like that. And oh, Pat. Right, and then there's Bill. <laughs> there's Bill Oakley in town. Do you know Bill Oakley? I don't think I know him. Bill Oakley. He uh, has has written some of your favorite lines from The Simpsons, like steamed hams. He was part of the monorail script. Okay, like, he was like that era of Simpsons. And now, if you follow him on Instagram, all he does is talk about like burgers, yes, and snacks, and people send him like I am aware aisle of this. three of Wawa and yep. <laughs> things like that. You That's know? funny. I when you started talking about the snacks, I was like, "Oh, right, I do know of this." I didn't. I I, I admit I forgot the other connection. It, um, it's weird of the things I get excited about because it was like three weeks ago, and I was just randomly looking at Instagram, and he was on there, and he was at he was trying a hamburger like three blocks away, and I, I, I hopped on my bike and I went to see him. I, I felt like a fanboy, but he nice. wrote, he's part of the writing staff for the monorail app. He wrote steamed yeah, yeah. hams. That's his <laughs> line. I mean, I had to meet him. There is like a nice full circle between steamed hands and just like now existing within the snack, snack averse. So totally. yeah. Um, 
Well, let's let's jump right in. There's a bit Ooh. of a theme today on these news items, which is sports. And uh, it's funny because I think in the last Snacker News email update, I wrote about how there was nothing about the Olympics and there never would be unless we found a snack-based uh, entry. And here we are. And here it is. Tokyo convenience store chicken gizzard saved my life. This comes from a sports reporter at the New York Times who is diving into the wonderful world of the Tokyo convenience store. Um, the, the image they show is just a 7-Eleven, which you know, we're all familiar with in the United States, but is such a wildly different thing in, in Japan. Have you ever been to Tokyo or Japan? I bet, yeah, I went once when I was at Panic. I want to say it was ooh, it was like 2013 or 14. It was amazing. It's literally on my list of places to go back to, and I've, I haven't done it since. Uh, I went there. Sanyo flew me out to speak at a bunch of stuff, uh, whatever, maybe a decade plus ago. And I was supposed to be there for about nine days, and I stayed for five weeks. Wow, I I moved in. I'm now by week four. I'm 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 telling my girlfriend in San Francisco that I think I'm not coming back. Right? I just I I, I moved myself into the intercontinental. Spent a crazy amount of money because uh, a loss in translation was like maybe two years old by that time, if that old. Right? So I was just I was all in, and I would go to these convenience stores, and they were pretty life-changing if what you know is Piggly Wiggly and 7-Eleven's American style. It's strange because you see the opportunity of like what a kind of corner store or, you know, deli or, you know, whatever you call them in the various parts of America. Here, they're just liquor stores in LA. Um, yep. and, and you see how well they serve the entire community. And maybe it's just some combination of the cultural aspects of Japan and the density and whatever and it but they're so good they're like the products are good I like I just remember being amazed at both the food selection as well as like the sundries the magazines it was like every one of my favorite stores combined into one store yeah it was having things like uh these weird contraptions to heat up uh like udon bowls and things like that it was just it was, it was just kind of magic in there. The place was all clean. It didn't feel like it was about to be, uh, uh, someone was not about to come in with a gun. It, it felt like, you know, it wasn't like you go into a Kroger and even though you're watching them make sushi right there, you still know the sushi rice is old. And in these places, it's still good. It's so interesting. How, one thing this article doesn't talk about is how they're able to really do that. There was another article on Snacker News. I, I I meant to look for it, and I totally forgot last night when I was putting this um, research together. There's uh, famously these two 7-Elevens across the street from one another, owned by two different, um, you know, franchisees. And yeah, and so there's just sort of this battle between two of the exact same stores that are also separate. Um, but yeah, this this story by Andrew Andrew Kett. Uh, of the New York Times, uh, it just talks about like within this world of the lockdown Olympics and how they're sort of trapped. They can't they can't go and explore all that Tokyo has to offer. Arguably, the Olympics shouldn't be happening at all right now. Uh, but how these convenience stores or konbini, uh, I think, is the have been sort of the like saving grace of all of these people and athletes and everything in in the games. 
one of my friends uh, here, she's she got accepted to be one of the press at the Olympics. And, uh, you know, so I've gone to a couple of Olympics and they're amazing, but I know her experience is nothing like any of the Olympics I've done, right? Because of COVID and how they're, the Olympics feels the opposite of what it's supposed to be, where it's supposed to be very inclusive and cultures literally on top of each other in a positive way, right? We're yep. all in it together. It's not like when we go to, let's say, the NBA finals and people on the opposite team, you know, in the stands hate you. Here, everyone's right. on the same side. No one's like, right. just because you're American, they're going to like start throwing things at you uh, because you're the, you know, the, the opposing team. And so she, uh, there's, I guess, some fridge that all these journalists are using and someone keeps stealing her onigiri out of the worker fridge. And she wow. keeps writing about that of her, of her time there. She had to do her two weeks quarantine, right? And she doesn't really know much about Japanese food. So where people like me and probably you, we would just order everything. Like if I was quarantined for two weeks in Japan, I would still be super happy because I would be engorging in food. Yeah. <laughs> right. But she doesn't really live that way. So she's like, oh, I felt these tuna rice balls, you know, and things like that, that she could kind of understand. And now people are stealing it out of the, out of the company fridge is amazing. <laughs> she's going to be forced to go for the chicken gizzard soon. I'm going to text her this article. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> which, uh, which Olympics have you been to? I've only been, I've been to, to one. I've been to the Vancouver uh, Winter Olympics. Mm hmm. That was, what, maybe eight years ago or so. And I've been to the LA Olympics. Um, and then I've done some uh, stuff in uh, uh, Atlanta yep. where I crashed those Olympics. I went, The other two I actually went to, right? This one I kind of like started crashing things and just showed up at town. I, I, I was at the 96 Olympics, but I was part of the military's quick reaction force stationed uh, on this like old unused airfield uh watching everything happen and then of course there was the the bomb that went off and we were all on high alert yeah crazy they didn't use us though so uh the olympics now seems so um i like being in la there's a very big you know no olympics movement in that the olympics cause a lot of problem a lot of displacement a lot of uh, additional police funds going to the Olympics, all of these different issues that are not being addressed. The IOC, everyone kind of acknowledges, is like, yes, that is a corrupt organization. And I think it's interesting that with all of that, we still have the sense that the Olympics are still sort of, in some ways, the purest form of sport in the, that sense of we are looking at great competition more than we are, you know, rallying for a specific team or, you know, even our own nation. We want to see great sport in the Olympics more than anything. And it's a celebration of that, even with all these horrible things around it. Um, well, and I think it's really a celebration of cultures without being political, right? We yes. kind of throw politics to the side, like you know, we have the 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 you know, we have the Heineken House where that whole country is partying, and you you know, learn about their culture, right? Um, it's not like let's say a UN gathering, right? That, that's political, and there's not many of these sort of constructs that we're supposed to just. I think that, you know, we it's when we politicize this part, right, which is fine that it happens, like Black Power Fist back in the 70s or whatever. I'm totally down with that. But really, the to me, the special part of the Olympics is all bets are off. We are just people from different countries and we're choosing to be together and not like having our politicalness. 
be a part of that. Right. You, but, and, but you can also can't separate it because you've got, you know, in the New York Times, it's always showing the metal count by country, right? You've got right. Russia putting these ads up showing like, you know, where they're like, they're, they're fine with the fact that they were kicked out as long as they're still winning medals. And, and so it, it is this very like soft power form of, oh, yeah. uh, of international politics. But I, I mean, soft power better than hard power, I guess. Um, I, I I pulled this quote about uh, uh, about these convenience stores um, from this article just because as I was going through my notes, I realized that there's kind of a formula for these New York Times articles because there was in in the other one I had like the opening the, the opening image and then I pulled a quote and then I was like oh and here's a quote from a um, you know researcher or a, or a professor. And then I found this other one in this article. And I just love that Gavin H. Whitelaw is a sociocultural anthropologist at Harvard who has researched Convini for two decades. He spent decades. 20 years studying Japanese convenience stores. Like, I am so sorry that I've never heard of this man until now. That's right. amazing. Where are his books? Where, why is he have his own TV show? Like right, what, totally. yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a travesty. Yeah. We are much like, you know, I'd rather watch this guy do a bunch of YouTube videos. Cause I'm a little done with, let's say munchies and uh first week feast doing all these hamburger shows. Yes. Like, how many hamburger shows do we need? I get it. Let's get, get the social cultural anthropologist show on. Yep. on food. Yep. That'd be. Yep. Uh, I wonder if he's any good on, like, on camera. We should bring him on. Oh, man, our first guest, Gavin mm -hmm. H. Whitelaw. Um, all right. And, yeah, and then I also, I, I didn't know about, but I feel less bad about, I didn't know about Convini Boys. Yes, <laughs> but I, believe, I, I totally believe that there's a podcast about Convini Oh, Boys. man, and I, I immediately subscribed, so I'm excited to listen to it. I have an upcoming road trip. I'm going to go deep on, I, I, I love this because in, in the article, you know, one of them, uh, Mike Marquis says, I bought underwear there before. And I think that just that idea of, like, yeah, that's not weird. It's, you know, we were talking about at the beginning. It's like they have everything and it's good stuff. Yep. And what's really interesting that they're small, right? Uh, like we we do those have everything, let's say, like the Fred Meyer by me, right? Is right. a really good one because it's like a Target with a huge grocery store, right? But we need them big. These folks make these super small, dense, uh, like, it's interesting how they figure out their cost per square inch in their selling, right? Because like in San Francisco, there's a store called Byright where you, they, they make more money per square inch than any other grocery store in California because they have figured it out and they optimize it so hard. And if you go to Byright in, in Noe Valley in San Francisco, it's not a huge place. It might as well be as big as a Combini. And it's jam-packed with everything, just like one, you know, there. But it's all hyper-local and super expensive, and they make money hand over fist because they've just figured it out. Uh, a friend of mine has a store in Portland, um, and it was really interesting to watch him over time maximize the square footage like when he started obviously it was very sparse he was figuring everything out and now you know like over the years it kind of grew into like kind of feeling like a quote-unquote real store and because that that idea of how much of something do you have and where do you put it 
and there's you you can get overstuffed and then it doesn't feel good, you know, right. or or it's like not organized correctly and then it doesn't feel good, or you have too much like of one orders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which yeah. I've totally been to like a roadside or or even I think many like gas station um, convenience stores in the United States have that hoarder feel. There's just too much stuff. Like, like someone did a deal with the 76 station or the Chevron empire. And now they get their stuff in everywhere, whether they want it or not. And that's always right. kind of a bummer. The only place I allow that sort of allow quote, that's wrong with, but the only place that I could handle that sort of feeling is let's say in a New York bodega where, uh, you know, this thing is, serving hyper local situations of every type of canned Italian fish you need because the neighborhood inhales that stuff and they're not going to go to Zabar's a mile away and pay double the price. When you get the feeling that the stock is rotating out in that way, it's a totally different feeling than when it's like a little bit dusty. Right. And, and I think those are, that's a, that's a different energy, a different feeling, even if the stocking is sort of the same. Um, I'm heading out uh, next Monday on a trip across kind of diagonally from Los Angeles to Niagara Falls. And I'm very excited to explore snacks and convenience stores, uh, gas stations, et cetera. So right. I saw you had that. uh, I I love traveling across the country. I've done it three times. Uh, Always worth worthwhile and always different uh, mentally of where I'm going and now I'm doing it. But so are you plotting like all these regional snacks you're going to try and hit up? And- I, I haven't, though I am highlighting and focusing on specific people in specific places. And I, I hope to sort of lean into their expertise. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a really good friend in Grand Rapids and I visited him years and years ago there. Um, and it was just like, it was just, here's all of our local chips and beers and all that kind of stuff. So definitely that's very much a part of, what I'm looking forward to. And I think we'll probably take a break from our news analysis on this podcast. I'll probably just do some first person reporting for a couple months as um, totally. uh, I'll be, I'll be on the road, but yeah, the convenience store, like um, the, the mix of a convenience store that has the national brands, as well as these weird individual local things is a, is a pretty fun thing to look for. Right. I agree. Uh, especially when uh, these regional brands, they're not cheap. They're right. just good. Yep. The I, is it Zaps that I think is in Texas? Do you know Zaps chips? Oh yeah, the the potato chips. Yeah, it's like a thicker chip. I feel like they're everywhere in Texas, and you don't you see, you can find them other places, but they're just prevalent there. And that right. kind of oh. like density of a specific uh, it's not brand. So much Texas, it's the South. New Orleans has a lot of Zaps. Oh, okay. Maybe it just bleeds over into Texas. Yeah, I mean, uh, but it, I feel Zaps is like a southern, not like the first. Like I said, the first thing I thought was New Orleans because yep. they have them in triplicate. Even here in Portland, some sandwich places have them. Um, yep, they're getting bigger. I think they got bought by someone. I could be wrong, but I figured whenever yeah. someone's getting more national, that they had to have been picked up by someone. Yeah, that's usually the case. Um, so jump jump to our next story, which is very, very uh, tangentially related to snacks, but it's uh, a story from uh, Charlotte, what is the name of their newspaper? The Charlotte Observer about the, these high school athletes wanting to profit from their name, image, and likeness, and specifically this 
one example they have is the star athlete has an ice cream flavor named after him and is not allowed to make any money. And I just thought this was interesting as we get into this discussion culturally around uh, college athletes and how much money they don't make and how that's all changing. Um, and so the idea that that's trickling down to high school, like, of course it is. Like, I, I have I mean, so many like, questions about this and I don't even know about like all of the different rules. Like, are they allowed to monetize their Instagram? Are they not allowed to? Like, ha it's, it's really strange. Um, true. I didn't think about that way. I assume they can monetize their Instagram because they're not like wearing a shirt onto the field. Right. They're just, right. they're doing it. Um, I'm not down with this. Oh, you're not. Oh, this is cool. We're on opposite sides of this. All right. We, um, I mean, in the end, just because I, I think of this the same way as how 12 year olds want to have sex because adults are. So I also equate this with the, the how uh, influence, you know, the in high school, the job of an influencer is the number one thing a high schooler wants to do in America for, for a living, right? This ties into that. Uh, this also ties into how people, we, are, we have moved into a culture that just because I press the publish button, I should be able to monetize. You know, all these little parts, uh, sum up to why I don't like this. Eventually, we got to create constructs that you're doing something that you're not necessarily getting paid for. You got we got to figure out how to create self worth that does not have to match dollars. And to me, learning a craft, being a journeyman, does not mean you you know you are now allowed to get you know all these perks. Of if you were a rock star architect, you're just a journeyman. The there's there's so much of that that I agree with, and I think for me, when you look at the larger structure around sports, and there's so many people making money on these high school athletes, these college athletes, it's like why why would you omit the ones actually performing the role? That's the part that where I'm just like, no, they they should be allowed to, and. The idea that you know they can't use their likeness to promote a local snack in their local community just because they're playing like high school basketball it, to me is like that's ludicrous. Like, what kind of rule? That's such an arbitrary and strange rule. Like, the drama kid can do it, the basketball kid can't. You know, Wait, and, and and where I don't is, know where if the drama people? kid can do it. Well, because there's no organization preventing. That but the thing would be they're not going to be famous kid, enough. But like, the thing would be if we're going to make it analogous to the drama kid, that means the drama kid is wearing a Zaps potato chip shirt on stage during the play. Well, this example, uh, the article "Star Athlete Star Charlotte Athlete Can't Get Paid for Snack Named After Him." Players want to change is just saying that the the ice cream shop that named something after this athlete is not allowed to pay that athlete for use of his name. So that's like, that's outside of the court. That's not on, right. you know, so, so that, that was my question of like, are they allowed, what are they allowed to do? And I think one of the fathers of one of these athletes um, mentions that, you know, they can get 
they can get a job, they can go work a regular job. And you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, that ice cream place should just hire him to quote unquote work there, you know? And right. then, you, you know, and, and so if there's all these workarounds and there's all these kind of different things, I don't know. The but idea when, that the organization, the a student organization shouldn't block what you do outside of school. I have a big problem with that idea as separate from the financialization of everything, which I, I agree with and hey, Snacker News proudly makes no money. <laughs> <laughs> Yet. Or yeah. just now. The, this moment, we're not. Yeah, it's not. Um, I hear you. These are just high school kids. Does that mean we now have to treat them as if they could, you know, they're fully formed adults? Yes, I think you have to, you have, to have a, a set amount of rules that make logical sense because you are in the act of training them to be logical adults. And when you apply arbitrary rules to high schoolers, and, and I'm, I'm channeling so much of my core wound of being a high schooler, being having arbitrary rules put on me, it feels so unfair and it makes you so angry. And so the idea that um, if you're going to do this, you have to have really, really good reasons that a student athlete can understand not that it's just like, that's the way it's always been done. Therefore, we're going to keep doing it that way. I'm with that. And let's be honest, we, uh, we are equating this, to the, in, at least me, mentally about uh, what's going on in the college system. Yes. Where I do not mind that the college kids are making money and we could go down that road, but it's a different thing going on, which is why I'm into the college kids getting the money. Where this, sure, the ice cream store is giving them like 500 bucks, right? It's As opposed to the college one, the literally are getting life-changing money once this happens that's a different thing and i think uh so i think i'm doing it from that lens which may not be appropriate because in the end uh maybe they can make constructs of saying you could only have uh sponsorships up to a 500 let's say right and then you could say you can only have you know that's each one could only be at maximum 500 and then for the year you can only do 5,000 or something like you know dollars worth yeah. right there you can make those things and i'm totally with that but when I think about the high school kid and where they're coming from, because they want a part of that college money, where those, once that opens for the college, these folks are going to be making incredible amount of money that's going to stop them doing college. Like college will end for them, and all they're going to do is deal with the sports. I'm basing this only on having seen a couple episodes of uh, Last Chance U um, and, and my knowledge of sort of pop culture student athletes, but it doesn't seem like a lot of, especially at the high level, student athletes are really going super hard at quote unquote college. It seems like they're going super hard at being student athletes. And that's, and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. So I, yeah, I, I just like, when you create these separate rule systems for people just because they're playing sports and obviously like it happens that we want that, like that thing we talked about uh, uh, with the Olympics. Of we want, we want more than anything that purity of sport. And yet, because we live in this capitalist structure, we also need to make money. And then people start taking advantage of each other, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, we're seeking these two things of like we want the balance of fairness and at the same time the purity of sport. And I think those things are just always going to be a little bit at odds. So I think this tension will always exist. And where do you find the line? Um, and it's to, to me, I'm just like, like this article mentioned that so many of these kids aren't going to play sports after high school, right? The, right? the, the, a lot of people play high school sports, less play 
college and, and very, very few play professional. And so the idea that they could monetize, to me, it seems fine um, and even kind of like fun. But I could also see it being really dark and dystopian as well, um, says the guy who sells shares himself. So, you, you know, it, it, like it's, 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 right. danger, well, it's dangerous in both directions. Right. But in the end, what is the goal of being in a high school? Um, one of them can be to figure out a hustle, a side hustle. And is this actually a side hustle? Because when you're in college level, it is not. Right. It's going to be pretty short term as right. any it's kind a of long term endeavor. But, right. but there and are I don't skills know if it's getting you ready for yeah, the is world. It, right. Is it, a, is it summer job equivalent? I, yeah. I, again, it's arguable. I don't know. I don't, you know. And I don't either. And I'm not trying to be contrarian other than honestly, I would love for kids not to have to worry about money. Yes. How's that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And this makes me sad because in the end, there's a mixture of influencerism and just these kids in general families don't have enough money right i believe these are because when we're this doesn't this is not really talking about color but you know we're talking about non-white kids absolutely right um and i felt this is one thing the article missed is to talk about the race issue but i can understand why they didn't because then you turn into a critical race situation and it's really not what i'm saying what i'm saying in the end most Families don't have a lot of money, and this sure could help, like a like a side hustle can. Right, but the real the real problem is is the economic issue is not for high school sports to solve. Let's deal with that problem and let's actually tackle it. Yeah. Exactly, and I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and again, I I approach the kind of freedom for high school kids to kind of do as much as possible from a from a very privileged position of it seems fun, not it seems necessary to feed one's family. So that's right. also something I should acknowledge. And like I said, that whole part is not in this article. No, right? not, not. This not, is definitely yeah. from a privileged space. Yeah. This they article, how they seem like they almost touched on it a couple of times, but they didn't quite get there. Um, right. I did like that idea that um, certain schools like major, one of the, one of the parents says that argues that major division one schools should pay football players a thousand dollars a month. Um, and, and again, just that idea of like, yeah, if the money's coming in at that level, why not distribute it? But totally. And that's different, right? Uh, a stipend or, or something like that. Yeah. Right. It just, because then when you're talking about college, because this is their college job. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I wouldn't want that football yep. player to also have to get a day job. Exactly. Like, on on make, top of practice and school and all of those things. Like if, if you want someone to put that much time in, that time is worth something. And it's it's not just worth, I think so much we think, yeah, but they get to, or it's the opportunity to go further. And it's like, that's not it. You know, that can't right. be that. So, yeah. And again, this talks, you know, deals with the haves and the have nots and mm -hmm. trying to distribute that and right. not exploit the, the person who's actually on the field while the college makes tens of thousands of so, dollars yeah. on each person. So, so that part, that's why uh, dealing with the high school level, though, they're not dealing with that. But now right. that I think about, you know, privilege, now I think about how you have these gated schools, private schools, and they're going to have their high school teams, right? And now, well, of course, my little Timmy is on it, and I have a bunch of businesses, so why wouldn't I use my little Timmy as a sponsorship opportunity? Like, it all comes again from privilege. Right. 
Like, well, you know, if I owned an ice cream shop, maybe I just don't like Mexicans. So I'm yeah, not going to give that yeah. Latino kid uh, that that thing. I'm just going to give it to the lame white kid, right, on the team. You know, there's a lot of things like that that comes, and it turns into another high school like l- layer of who's better than the other person yep. in a in a shitty economic way, right. Class, class, and race, and all the combination of those things. Absolutely, it's also into this article that they choose not to acknowledge. Yeah, you know. Um. Anyway, yeah, I made that pretty dark, but it's well, just- <laughs> <laughs> on on to something a little bit more fun. Yes, <laughs> Quartz had a essentially a listicle every Olympic athlete that's been on the Wheaties box, and the. For me, the most fun thing was just looking at the design, the packaging design on these Wheaties boxes, um, and 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 seeing some of the history of of, of these various. Uh, uh, I mean, what a what a crazy thing! Like, there's this uh, one of the. It opens with Wheaties is a breakfast cereal that became associated with sports in 1927 crazy. through advertising with minor league baseball in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's fun. Right. I want that. I want to eat the cereal that is promoting minor league baseball. Like that's a move I would support right now. I'd and that would be cool it. if they, you know, would start making boxes occasionally, you know, during whatever little league month. Oh, 2027 is a perfect opportunity for Wheaties to go back to their roots and, and do a whole campaign with minor league baseball. See, that would be cool. If anyone's listening from Wheaties, get in touch. Shlomo and I will help you set this up. Amen. I, I know the general manager of the Portland Pickles. Oh, yes. <laughs> I used to wear with such pride my uh, Portland Beavers hat, and then my dog chewed it up. I even on my desk have a Portland Pickles bobblehead. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> um, yeah. Minor I League Baseball. You know, when I read this article, one thing I, I think about is how disassociated we are from the Olympics this time. Yes, I, I haven't watched a single event. I can't. Like, it's you have to pay for it. We used oh. to just have feeds that would yep. just go, and you would Air, just tune NBC. in, yep. and they would fill it 24 hours because, you know, we have multiple games going on simultaneously. So if you want to watch Shuttlecock, you have to do it at 3 in the morning where they you know moved it so we could just – now we don't have these – two to four channels, 24-hour feeds just going, right? It's a mixture of Peacock, USA Network. I don't have cable. I right. don't pay for Peacock. I'm not going to. I already pay for other services that yep. are not. It was easier for me to watch Rolling Loud last weekend and Lollapalooza <laughs> over this weekend than it's been to watch the Olympics. Yeah. I just can't find the games effortlessly. I can turn on Peacock where it'll tell me I have to pay in 30 minutes and it starts off with 10 minutes of commercials pre-rolls, right? It's like that they count as my 30 minutes. I wonder if that, cause I, I feel the same way. I wonder if that's going to diminish the effect of having this year's Olympic athletes on the Wheaties box. Right. See, that's what I was thinking about because a lot of this, right. When we think about these players, like on this slide, these four, when they got put on sure they were champions, but they were also household names because right. we we were all together in these major sporting events, right? It was these were actually bonding moments, much like how the World Cup is for Brazilians. Like every year, we are dropping everything and 
That's all we're talking about. I walk into Portland bars. The none of the Olympics are ever on. No one's even showing them. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, where where it's been such historically such a pervasive event. You know, like I I started a, a basically a sidecar event called Nacho Olympics, where we would make nachos in the style of the countries competing in the Olympics. Didn't That's do it cool. this year, but um, the but also I think. And, and again, I don't know if this is just my sort of hyper. I, I joined the DSA uh, last year uh, at my shareholders' request, and so I just feel like I'm 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 getting a lot of anti-Olympic uh, messaging, and I don't know how much that's just me versus more pervasive in the culture. But I think that combined with the fact that the Tokyo Olympics probably shouldn't be happening right now because of coronavirus, you know, and these kind of different aspects of like what's going on. Um, they just don't feel as important. They don't feel as um, meaningful as a, as a sporting event, you know, um, this year. And Did, does this feel less meaningful than uh, the NBA finals last month? Like, yes, to, to me. Yes. Personally. Definitely. I agree. Yep. I'm saying, me too. Uh, I just wanted to see how you, you were yep. uh, like there. You would still, even if uh, once Portland was out of the semifinals, the bars were still playing the finals around here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like NBA finals was still a meaningful thing, even though no one was in the courts till the very end. Uh, right. Until the very end. But this, like, no one is tied into. We used to remember, like, you would always get these mini social stars bubbling up because. Oh, wasn't the 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 so and so from this team so fun and cute and kicked ass? And they start bubbling up in their shots, you know, start bubbling up into the socials. None of that's happening. The the one thing I saw was that woman who tripped and fell and then came back and won the race. That was the one thing I saw on on social media that I actually like went back and turned the sound on and watched the clip. It's like the only bit you know other than just like seeing and not paying attention to it around me in in mostly social feeds and uh news mm-hmm. i that that's it you know like it's the only thing i've like watched i don't even see olympics trending on twitter at all yeah, so I, it, I see it in the sidebar like promoted or whatever i don't i don't see many people like in my actual feed of people that i follow right. actually talking about it right I, and i think it's just because it's just too hard to find like mm-hmm I, I just don't do cable. And in the end, if you don't do cable, you got to buy some one of these services that most of us do not purchase. Yeah, we, we cut the cord and we go, we went totally, we got a fiber connection, which I was very excited about. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it, it definitely changes things and it makes it harder. You have to be like, oh, how am I going to watch this? Or, you know, Catherine's a huge tennis fan. And so we signed up for the ATP like uh, account, but then they've sold the rights for all the big tournaments to other places. So it's like, oh, you bought the subscription, but it's only the like lower tier tennis. And you're like, well, that's no good. Now I have to exactly. go and buy the other one. Yeah. So I never once saw something where I could just buy the whole feed. Like mm-hmm. if I like major league baseball in the end, I could go to MLB.com and right. give them money yep. and get any sort of package I want. Local package, all of, you know, all the car packages, everything. They were, they were super early too, weren't they? Wasn't baseball was like as far as building out their own yeah. network? Like I feel like they were laughed at. They were so early. Um, well, they were laughed at because uh, everybody else was like, "What do you mean? You you know, I could still see you on various networks." But they're like, "Yeah, but wait until you see our deals." Now they have deals on like eight different networks, right? Yeah, yeah. So the average person, much like this 
Olympics thing gets that same problem. Well, okay, I bought Peacock, but I don't own USA Network. Right. And I want to watch this specific team. I don't care about, like, a lot, of, especially with those bigger sports, you don't care about <laughs> baseball. You care about right. specific teams that you want to follow. Right. Yeah. Be, it, uh, be it, you know, uh, re, you know, like, I want all the West Coast teams or even right. just you want your city's team. Right, right. exactly. Um, another thing, I, I think maybe this is just where my life is in my head. Uh, when is the Wheaties and all these Olympic things going to make this series of crazy collectibles and NFTs where, you know, we could, you know, keep being engaged with we- this seems like the collectibles market <laughs> the, <laughs> be going insane. Oh, the yes. Olympics collectibles, collectibles market is always pretty robust. Oh, yeah. Um, pin, pin trading and everything else that goes along in that. Oh, world. my God. The pin trading is insane. At the Olympics, the the fact that there have that they happen in these like with these big gaps, and that we really only learn a lot of these stories, like unless you follow a specific sport, you know that we think of as a more traditional Olympic sport only, like gymnastics and track and field and these things. The idea that you could hook people in and carry them along to that journey in the in between time and space seems like a real opportunity for some for collectibles that can change programmatically, you know, yeah. and, and update. And there's some real opportunities there. It does not seem like the IOC is the organization to do that at all. Yeah. That does not seem like a very cutting edge, useful, or even <laughs> arguably good organization. Totally. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's our three sports stories. Um, awesome. I'm going to keep an eye out. Some- I'm going to keep an eye out for sports related uh snacks specifically on my trip and see if i can find see what i can see out there what uh what uh uh what category of snacks are you most excited about regionally chips i i think chips tends to be the the easy differentiator between places when you see a new chip it's it's an easy thing to get excited about and and chips do that especially now there's that whole let's create new flavors all the time Mm -hmm. um thing that's happening so seeing that regionally is is pretty fun and then that in beverages uh, i love totally beverages will be big and yep. uh fast food stops or that mm-hmm. sort of you know will be lots of fun yeah but i i need to push myself on that because i have i have my go-to's i like a mcdonald's breakfast sandwich and i like a i like a veggie subway sub <laughs> and beyond that i don't have i, I need to develop my fast food taste <laughs> i mean i don't remember the last time i've been to a subway but I'm not anti Subway. I don't know. It's it, to me. It's like the uh, it's the pretend healthiest meal out on the road. Is the do you uh, know that? Do you know that TikTok uh, YouTuber guy who uh, works at his family owns a Subway and he uh, puts a camera on his chest. So all you're doing is you're looking down at his hands and he's doing voiceover talking about other things or whatever, right? And wow. making sandwiches. People come visit him all the time. And he does he he did this thing for like he a million cookies for some Mr. Beast campaign. He's like somewhere in Southern California. That's amazing. Um, there's I will, a, I will there's look a, him up and send it to you. Okay, there's a um, Twitch channel I was watching that's a chippery in England somewhere, and it's very similar. As a guy just has a camera up as he's like working in his shop and he's talking live the whole time, and people are coming in, and it's weirdly compelling. Um, this guy has hits up the wazoo. Yeah, he's huge, and it's just and it's mesmerizing to watch this guy 
cut the loaves, put the thing, and he's so fast, and you're so happy because it looks so clean. Like, it actually is super good for Subway. Right. There's That's, a lot yeah. of these sort of folks who are making, you know, like, you get these high schoolers making these videos, partially because of this guy who's so famous now. Uh, uh, let's say they work at McDonald's, and you can now go on YouTube and they're like, we're going to show you how we make the McRib. Right. And, you know, and it's like this 15-year-old and having the other, other friend who also works at McDonald's filming him as he's showing you the McRib. It's just kind of cool, right? It is cool. It's it's interesting to see that stuff come from the bottom up and not have the sort of official top-down approval because there's potential to capture things that they don't want captured as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Uh, he's talked about the, uh, the Subway guy. Every once in a while has talked about how Subway has reached out and vice versa. He's reached out to Subway. He's not asking for money from Subway at mm -hmm. all, probably because his numbers are so good. He's probably just doing okay. Right. Like um, but Subway loves him, has sent him random stuff, and his family, yeah. like his, his family owns that that location. It's kind of a cool American story. Yeah, that is cool. I like that. Man, a famous Subway artist. I know. I will find it for you. <laughs> all right. So next week, uh, ideally, I'll be reporting with some live updates of various snacks, That's probably awesome. probably with Catherine's help, probably a lot of loud car recording and whatnot. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, and I think we're going to be gone for like two months. So I'll, I'll bug you wow. in a while. Yeah, it's a long, we're going to go up to uh, Niagara Falls, uh, her parents are on the Canadian side, and then we're going to go down along the East Coast and visit my parents in Florida and then come back across the South. Actually, my first time to New Orleans, probably. So I'll look for some Zaps chips. Um, oh, yeah. Have you yeah. ever been to New Orleans before? No. Somehow I've always missed it. I lived in uh, uh, Alabama for the longest time. And yeah, been to you are going to Texas and Nashville, it. everywhere around it, basically. But yeah. You are going to love it. <laughs> New Orleans is one of those places I love so much, and the thought of living there sounds so horrible. But, uh, <laughs> but when I'm there, I love it so much. That's awesome. All right. All right. Talk Thanks, to you Laura. Soon. Talk to you Take soon. Care.